verses chapter 11, been talking about the Holy Spirit. Some people would say the Holy who? The Holy Spirit. And so I believe it's something that's very important, very significant for the time we live in right now. Just a wake-up call to the, to the body of Christ. The importance and the relevance of the Holy Spirit. All right, now, as you're turning to Genesis 11, I need to review just a little bit. Uh, remember that a few weeks ago we talked there in 1 John 5, really specifically verse 7 and 8. It said that these three bear witness in heaven. Who are the three that bear witness in heaven? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They are the three that bear witness in heaven, okay? This is very important for us as, as born-again Christians, as believers, that you understand the Trinity, okay? The important. Some religions do not. We do. He went on to say this, and these three bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, which rep represented the baptism of salvation. It represented water baptism, but it also ba represented being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Once again, the only one that is referenced in, in heaven and in earth was the Holy Spirit. Okay? Very important that we see that. Also last week we talked about you know, some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he said, Though I speak in the tongue of men and the tongue of angels. Well, that word tongue means in the Greek language. What would be the tongue or the language of angels? To me, it's got to be heaven. I mean, that's, you know, they reside in that area. So I believe that's what he's talking about, but specifically last week, Romans 8 the Apostle Paul, in, in just through the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus even said that the Holy Spirit is here to help us, to aid us in our weaknesses. When you have a weakness in your life, and whether we all want to admit it or not, we have different weaknesses. Many times we try to figure everything out in our own abilities. But he said right here, the Holy Spirit is sent to aid us and help us. But i got to look to him. He also said there's times in our life we don't know what to pray, but He would help us. So I encourage you, get those tapes. They'll help you. They'll let you begin to see things biblically. Once again, I ask you today, let's just read the Bible, okay? Let's just see what the Word of God says. I don't, I don't care if you were raised in the first church of the frozen chosen or bedside Baptist or wherever. I don't care what you were brought up in. Let's just be biblical here today, okay? Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. The whole earth had one language and one speech. You know, and I, I don't know that I can prove this, but most likely this was the same language that Adam and Eve spoke on. And this was early in, in life, early in the Bible existence of men. But I want you to understand the time frame here. This was after Father God flooded the earth. This, was after, this is where this took place. And so let's keep reading here and I'll fill in the blanks a little bit to try to give you some, some timelines here. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now, just studying through scriptures, when you see the land of Shinar there, I could trace some things back and I kind of understood who he was talking about here. When God caused the earth to be flooded, remember, everybody was destroyed there except Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth. Not Curly, Moe, and Larry, but Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? 
the one son, Ham, his next son was one named Cush, and after Cush was a son named Nimrod. Scriptures tell us that Nimrod was the one who built this city. Now, anything that I found out about Nimrod, Nimrod, found, he started out as a very godly person. He was a fierce warrior, but Nimrod began to lead the people of the earth away from God. He began to lead them back to pagan religion. And this wasn't a good thing. So this is the time frame here and who we're talking about. Verse 3. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens or reaches to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So right here, they begin to make bricks. And one brick at a time, they begin to build this tower to heaven. Now when you read that, you think, are they crazy? Why would they be doing that? Because that can't happen. Let's just keep reading here and let's see what the Bible said. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. I believe He came down to investigate and examine and the Lord said, Indeed the people are one, and they have all one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now get this. Now nothing that they prop propose to do will be withheld from them. Nothing they propose to do. Now once again, as they begin to build this city, you think, that's impossible. But right here the word says that nothing they purposed to do would be withheld to them. So it looks like here he's saying they could have pulled it off. Now he gives us some insight there in verse 6. And if we'll start back in verse 6. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one. Indeed they are one. Right there it begins to show us the power of unity. When people are in one accord and together... Man, nothing's impossible for them. I believe personally that's one of the greatest things about a marriage is the unity that comes in a marriage. There's power in those numbers. How do you know there's power? Well, the Bible says one will put a thousand, two will put ten thousand. So it begins to multiply things. So right here, I believe the Lord was saying because they were in one language and one accord, they could pull this off. So look what happens there in verse number seven. Come, let us go down. And who was God talking about? I believe He was talking about the Trinity. I believe He's talking about the angels. And He said, let us go down there and what? Confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the, all the face of the whole earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, which meant confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, how did God stop them from doing this? He confused their language. He caused them to be, become where they weren't united anymore. Now, when you study the fall of Adam, when mankind fell, they took on a sin nature. Every one of us, when we're born into this earth, we have a sin nature within us. The only way I get rid of that sin nature is through Jesus. 
When I give my heart back to Jesus on the inside, He comes and, and He gives me a different nature. But also think about this. How many of you, were bo- before you were born again, obviously we all had a sin nature, but how many of you in your language did you have a sinful language? What do you mean? How many of you spoke vulgarity, obscenities, curse words, negativity? That would be me. That would be many of you. And so this is part of the issue that happens. And so we see right here that God caused the stop here because He, did, he uh, caused their language to be changed. Now go with me to the book of Zephaniah this morning. Zephaniah, and we're going to begin in chapter 3, and some of you are saying, where is Zephaniah? Well, it's way, way back there. Now, if you go to Zechariah, you've gone too far. It's going to come right after Habakkuk, and it's, I mean, it's tucked in there. I don't know if this will help you a bit, but in my Bible, it's page 1238. Probably won't help you a stinking bit, so I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. We're going to read in Zephaniah 3. But Zephaniah was a prophet, and part of his prophecy, this, this book is only three chapters. Part of this has to do with end-time things. And in this passage here, he promised through the, through the prophet Zephaniah that he would purify and restore some things. Now this really began to, to get my attention because some of the stuff that's directed here, he, he says it's because they rejected the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Well, there's cross-reference in here, and one of them cross-referenced me into Acts chapter 7, verse 51. And some of you say, well, what does that say? Well, it said here, this was through Stephen, and he warned these people, and he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you, or so do you. And so right here, part of Zephaniah's prophecy is foretelling of the things of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see something real interesting here. We're going to read verse number 9. He says, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. A pure language. Interesting here that he says that, and and in different translation, actually the the message says this, that I I will restore a, a perfect language. I will restore an undistorted, an unpolluted language. Now, it's interesting to me that he uses the word restore here. He doesn't say, I'm going to uh, create one, I'm going to birth one, I'm going to restore. So to restore something, it's already been there. Now, who did he say he was going to restore this to? Look, to the peoples, plural. So it just wasn't to the Jews, it was to all people. Now look what he goes on to say. That they all may call on the name of the Lord. That they all may call on the name of the Lord. Anytime we call on the name of the Lord, that is done under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Actually, when you got born again, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He said that the Holy Spirit will baptize you into the Lord Jesus. So what's going on right here? Zephaniah prophesies, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, the Lord is going to send a Redeemer named Jesus, and Jesus is going to cause you to get born again. And once you get born again, I'm going to give you this pure language. 
interesting, everything he says here that, that will ultimately take place. Now he goes on to say this. This would be the characteristics of this. Look, to serve him, how? With one accord. To serve him with one accord. Now, I believe right here, every bit of this is pointed at the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because every language on the earth has been defiled. I don't care if you can speak in English, Spanish, French, Mandarin, whatever. Every one of those languages are defiled with obscenity, vulgarities, curse words. The only pure language would be the language of heaven. It's never been defiled. And he said when this language comes, it will bring unity. What would the unity do? It would help us to serve him. Now this was what he prophesied. Every bit of this, guys, ultimately cross-referenced to what the prophet Joel prophesied in Joel 2.28. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The second place it's cross-referenced is into Acts chapter 2. Now this morning, let's go to Acts. And I'm going to go to Acts 1 to start with. But I want you to remember right here, everything that was prophesied by Zephaniah Literally thousands of years ago. Now here we are in Acts chapter 1. As we turn there, you'll begin to see some things take place here. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus says in Acts 1-4, He said, I command you to wait for the promise of the Father. So after Jesus tells them this, remember in verse 9, Jesus ascends into heaven. So they take hold of what Jesus said. And look at Acts 1, verse 14. And it says, These all continued with what? With one accord and in prayer. So they were together, guys. Now I want you to look real close at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, now, a lot of times when you mention the word Pentecost or Pentecostal, people put on the brakes automatically. Oh, man, you're talking about some holy rollers. You're talking about some crazy folk. Well, actually, the word Pentecost itself means 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, specifically seven weeks and a day. That's what that means right there. Now, think about this for time frames here. When Jesus rose from the grave, it says that he would be on the earth 40 days until he ascended back into heaven. So after Jesus gave this command, this is approximately 10 days later. And so all these disciples, they're waiting for the promise of the Father. And they're all in one accord. Now remember what happened in, the, in, in Genesis 11. And when people are in one accord, things happen. So they're all together in one accord. Now look what it goes on to say. And they were all with one accord in one place. They were in agreement, but that word one accord in the Greek means harmony leading to action. So you know what that means? Something fixing to go down. Something's fixing to happen. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, once again, I want you to understand this about the Holy Spirit. He's not a wind. He's a person. And so he sa it says right there, he's like, he's like the wind. Think about the wind here for a minute. 
How many have ever seen the wind? I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. Well, see, this is what he begins to tell us about the Holy Spirit. You may not ever see the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean he's not real. It doesn't mean he's not alive. Now, think about this. Even we talked about this when we talk about Father God. How many have ever seen Father God? No one does. But I still believe there's a God. How do you know that? Man, I read the Scriptures and I understand. There's somebody who created me named Father God. I wasn't created. I didn't evolve from a monkey. I'm going to tell you that right now. My father wasn't a monkey swinging the trees. My father is Father God. How do you know that? Through the Scriptures. I believe it. Number two, how many of you ever saw Jesus before you got born again? Did he stroll up to you in the mall and have a business card and say, Listen, I'm Jesus. I, I really advise you it'd be good for you. To receive me. No. Once again, everything that happens to us spiritually, we just got to reach out and, and receive it. Well, this is kind of like the Holy Spirit's the same thing. Now he jumps into verse 3. Then there appeared to them the ones that were in one accord, divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. Now once again, listen. The Holy Spirit's not fire. He's a person, but he's like fire. John the Baptist foretold this in Matthew 3, 11 and 12. He said, this is how the Holy Spirit's going to come. And this is how he came. Now look what happened in verse 4. And they were all filled with who? The Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit prompted them. As the Spirit enabled them. Now, I believe right here, this was the language of heaven. And the language of heaven, it trans transcends any and all barriers. I believe this was Father God's way of saying, you know what I'm going to do with you now? Not only did I recreate your spirit when you got born again, I'm going to hook your spirit up to your tongue. Now, I know that may freak some of you out. But this is what Father God was talking about here. Now, when you look at this, Something very interesting. I want you to think, here on the day of Pentecost, everything that took place in light with what Zephaniah prophesied in Zephaniah 3.9. What did he say? I'm going to give you a pure language. We see that. He said, it's going to cause unity to come upon you to serve me. Everything that he prophesied, guys was fulfilled right here in this verse. It took place in this verse. These verses right here. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to do a little bit more explaining today. Man, you've got to get this on the inside of you, okay? God's wanting to do something right now. This is part of the end time prophecies that there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Now as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 14, let me give you a couple myths of the Holy Spirit. Stuff that people will say. Number one, a lot of times they'll say that when people get filled with the Holy Spirit, they just fall over in a trance. I've never been tranced. That's never happened to me. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, man, He just came upon me. I didn't go paralyzed or stiff and lay there for the next two weeks. That didn't happen. Now the next myth is a big one. People will say that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will begin to babble uncontrollably. That's a myth. 
That does not happen. Let me give you an illustration of that. Let's just say today after lunch, some of you are going to go to Chili's to eat. And the little waitress comes up and asks you your order, and you start telling her everything you want, and then you look at her and start saying, and shambala bedela bedela. I'm going to tell you guys, that stuff doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit will not force you to do anything. He's not going to make you do He's not going to come upon you uncontrollably. I've heard people say, I couldn't stop. That's a lie. I'm going to tell you right now, I could start praying in other tongues right now and I can stop. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force me to do anything against my will, Okay. He's the perfect gentleman. He's not rude. Now, we need to be New Testament taught here. I want you to see some things. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And I'm still in Acts. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, listen to this. But especially that you prophesy. Now, what is to prophesy? That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone and they will begin to speak in a language that you can understand. And I mean, it's, it's as if God Himself is speaking through them. I mean, it is very authoritative and very powerful. So Paul tells us here, desire to do this. Verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, the message here says... He who speaks in a tongue is the private language of tongues. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries or utters secrets. So, once again, that if a human being, me or you, was to pray in other tongues, it would be to Father God. My mind is not going to be fruitful of this. Now look where he goes, verse 3. But he who prophesies... Speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to who? To men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies or improves or builds himself up. But he who prophesies edifies who? The church. Now he's doing some teaching right here, and I believe me and you get a, get, need to understand this. When people prophesy, it is to men, plural, or it's to the church, the whole congregation, but what did he say praying in other tongues was for? Was for self-edification for who? For myself. For you. So really when you look at this, praying in tongues is a private gift of prayer that's between you and God. Years back I would read these books of, of great people within the Bible. Or great people that have been on earth. And some of you may re recall this name. A woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman had some of the greatest, greatest healing crusades. From Los Angeles to Pittsburgh. She would go back and forth. I'm telling you the things that God would show up. It was incredible. I read this about Catherine Kuhlman. That it said that she would pray in other tongues normally at least four hours a day. But very few, if anyone, ever heard her do that. You know why? She understood what the Apostle Paul had wrote here. That it became more of a private prayer language between her and Father God. I'll tell you guys, I saw pictures of her when she would come out after she would pray. She looked like an angel. She would wear this white dress. She was redheaded. I'm telling you, the power of God would go through her. 
I believe God's desiring those things to happen again. Verse 4, 5. I wish who? You all spoke with tongues. Now, I, I mean, we've got to stop right there. Let, let's read that one more time. I wish you all spoke with other tongues. Now, when you look at that, the Apostle Paul wrote this, guys. He penned this, he authored this, but if you really believe the Bible, think about this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So when Scripture was written, the Holy Spirit was breathing on these men. Yes, Paul authored, authored it and penned it, but it was by the unction of the Holy Spirit. And so really when I look at this, when Paul wrote this, this was the heart of God. I wish or I pray that every one of you pray in other tongues. Now this was the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. This was a man who was not an original apostle. This was a man who said about himself, I was the chief sinner. And when you look back at what Apostle Paul had done, man, I'm telling you, he had done some crazy stuff. He had been a real sinner. But yet, this is what he spoke to us. Now listen to what he says here in the rest of verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with a tongue, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now if you look what he's saying there, there's a proper place for each one of them. He said that in the church, it's better for us to prophesy, but in a church setting, if there is a tongue given, he said it needs to be interpreted. So you know what that tells me? If there's a tongue spoken here even, and it's not interpreted, we're not being biblical. And so right here, you know what Paul is doing? He's trying to bring order to an out-of-order situation. He is addressing this church at Corinth because, you know what, this is what's been going on in their church. People would just come in and begin to pray in other tongues. And the Bible says specifically when unbelievers come in and hear that, they'll think you're barbaric. I remember those days. Before I'd given my heart to the Lord and I heard people praying in other tongues, I thought, man, they are crazy. They're fruit of the loom. They ain't got a clue in life. You know why? I did not understand any of this. And once again, as humans, anything we don't understand, we're against. So right here, the Apostle Paul said, listen guys, you got to understand this. you got to get this because this was out of order. But once again, I believe this is so important because this is what Zephaniah prophesied to us about. There's going to come a time when this is going to happen. I believe we're in it, guys. I believe things are happening in incredible ways. Go on with me in, in same chapter, verse 18. Now listen to this right here. This was the Apostle Paul. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all do. That's powerful, guys, because he doesn't depreciate tongues. Actually, you can tell this is of utmost importance to his everyday life. He said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now listen to me. If he didn't speak in tongues in church, where do you think he did it at? 
He did it in his own private life. And he did it, I believe, on a daily, daily, daily basis. He goes on to say in verse 19, now listen, he's bringing clarity here. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, or in our situation, English, maybe Spanish, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So you know what he's telling me and you? There's a right place and a wrong place to do things. And so he was just bringing clarity here, and he said, listen guys, you got to get a hold of this, because evidently in this place, there was a bunch of holy roller crazy-matics. I mean, stupid stuff was going on, and it was causing problems. Now look real close at the end of this chapter, specifically verse 38, 39, and 40. And I want you to see something here, because the Apostle Paul, he never discounted the validity of praying in other tongues. Never. Never, never, never do you'll see him say, knock it off or quit, except in the church setting. Verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So I believe right here, Paul was addressing two things with ignorance. Number one, he was telling these guys at the church of Corinth, he said, listen boys, if you're going to come in here and keep doing that stuff, you're going to be held for the consequences that it causes, the problems. If you're going to be ignorant, then be ignorant. So you know what he was telling? You're going to run people off. You're going to cause people to freak out. You're going to cause people to go. Now listen, this is my heart. The number one priority for the church is to get people born again. I'm going to tell you guys, if people aren't getting saved, so guess what? If we all came in here and just started praying in other tongues, and we had people who'd never done that, you know what they'd say? I'm not ever going back to that place. This is what the Apostle Paul was getting to. He said, listen, if you're going to do that stuff and you're going to be ignorant, then be ignorant. The second thing I believe he was getting over to is found in the very next verse. Look at verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And get this. Do not, do not forbid or hinder or discourage to speak with tongues. Now you read that. Read it with your own eyes. Mark that up in your Bible. Because listen, any time in our lives that we discourage or forbid it from taking place, we're ignorant. We're ignorant with what he said. And so what ultimately happens here is verse number 40. Let all things be done decently in order. And I think this is where we've gotten. We focused more on decently in order, and we've gotten away from the very thing that the Apostle Paul told us not to do. What was that? He said, don't forbid or hinder ones to pray in other tongues. But once again, there's appropriate price and there's not. And so this is, this is the teaching that every one of us must learn to understand. But I believe this is exactly what Zephaniah prophesied. He said through the prophet Joel, he said, In these last days, there'll be an outpouring upon my spirit upon all flesh. And he said, your, your young ones will prophesy. And I'm telling you, I get so excited about that. You know, a few weeks ago when all those 30 little guys got filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, I got so blessed. You know what I begin to see? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit right here. And then we had teenagers, and now we're having adults. It's beginning to happen right before our eyes. See, I can tell you this right now, guys. Before I got born again, I had a horrible sin nature. Just like many of you. What was my nature to sin? You know what sinners do? They sin. I was a good one. 
I gave my heart to Jesus and I got born again. And so the nature on the inside of me changed. But how many of you noticed when you got born again, all those old bad habits, all those things of your flesh, they just didn't disappear. In other words, when I got born again, I just didn't quit cussing overnight. It just didn't happen. But something began to happen on me when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I can say this about you. If you've really given your heart to Jesus and you've gotten born again, you may still be sinning, but it bothers you. That was a big thing with me. When I got born again, I tell you, it bothered me to sin. Before I got born again, it didn't bother me a bit to sin. I didn't have a problem. I was a good sin. I enjoyed sinning. My flesh really, really, really liked it. But when I got born again, something happened, and I didn't like to do it, but it's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, the things I don't want to do, that's what I do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and something began to happen. Something began to change. And all that junk that used to flow out of my mouth, not just curse words and the vulgarity, but even the negativity that all of a sudden something started happening. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't cuss. Do you ever think about cussing? Every now and then. Some of you say you do. Well, crud, i got a flesh just like you. But I don't do it. I, sometimes I... But the Holy Spirit began to change me. He began to change me on the inside. And I'm going to tell you guys, the more I, I begin to pray in other tongues and the more I got around the things of God, things begin to happen and things begin to fall off me. Especially that the sin and the alcohol and all that junk that had dominated me. And I, I shared this story in the first service and we were at the lake a few weeks ago and I'm walking down the dock to get on the boat and there's these two guys that weren't with us and they had just pulled in in their boat and I was close enough I could hear everything that said, well... I would say seven, maybe eight out of ten words were cuss words. I mean, it was F this and F that and G this and G that. I want to say, boys, that's not his last name, but it's irrelevant because you know what I understand? You know what sinners do? They sin. And I looked at him and I realized, that was me. That was me. And you know what I understand? God loves them just as much as He loves me and He loves you and me. The only difference is when we give our heart to Jesus... He changes the nature on the inside. But see, there's still more than that. There's still more to it than that. And listen, some of you today may be saying, I got born again. And I realize there's still got to be more. There is. And it's the Holy Spirit. And He wants to fill us and He wants to help us. And it comes when I start making myself available to Him. I start asking Him, giving Him permission to say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come into my, my life today. Give me wisdom today. In what area? Every area of my life. If I could figure things out on my own, don't you think I'd have done that about 30 years ago? I've tried that. As a man. I've failed as a man. I've failed as a husband. I've failed as a father. I've failed as a pastor. But when I begin to allow the Holy Spirit to come on the inside of me and begin to prompt me and I begin to utilize my prayer language, that pure language, I'm telling you guys, something happens. Once again, what did the Apostle Paul say there in 1 Corinthians 14? When you pray in another tongue, you edify yourself. You begin to flex spiritually. Something happens on you on the inside. I wish I could tell you word by word. 
I wish I could give you the formula exactly what... I can't. I can't tell you exactly what happens when you get born again. I just know Jesus came into my heart and I was a mess. And He took a mess and He made a miracle. And the things I was doing, I quit doing. It's that simple. That's all I can explain. I was a horrible husband. Until I got filled with the Holy Spirit. You were, Pat? Yeah. I mean, when Shelly married me, I was a walking mess. I'd given my heart to Jesus, but I was still dominated with stuff. And there came a point in my life where she understood. I've got to give this boy some, some consequences here. And you know what the consequences were? Shape up or ship out. She was this close for giving me the right foot of fellowship. And when I look back at her, I think, I wouldn't have blamed her. She should have booted me out the junk I was doing. I wouldn't have blamed her a bit. But I realized, man, I got to have the Holy Spirit. 